Lightning Lee Murray wanted to be world champion in the UFC. He just happens to be involved in the largest cash robbery in the world. He's definitely not sane. <laughs> Showtime Sports presents the unbelievable true story about the MMA fighter who pulled off one of the largest heists in history. Huge amounts of money, armed gang, disguises, kidnapping. This is the sort of thing you see in Hollywood films. We've never seen that for real. Catching Lightning, streaming Friday, April 7th, only on Showtime. Streaming with Paramount+. Plus. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Hello again, Broncos country, and thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Orange Weekly Podcast. Obviously, it is uh, not a normal podcast as the Broncos are not currently playing. However, we have a lot to talk about, and we love talking football in general, and there are a lot of Broncos moves happening right now that are very important for us to know during this offseason. So without further ado, I am... Jared, I am forget. the host. I, I almost forgot. Yeah, I don't forget your name. Eh? Long day. <laughs> and I'm joined, obviously, by my uh, heckling, one of my heckling co-hosts, uh, Matt. And uh, again, joined, joined by uh, the host of the uh, pre-game, sorry, post-game podcast uh, during the season, Tanner. During the off-season, we're going to do all these, try to do as many podcasts together as we can because uh, we enjoy talking to each other. And I hope you guys enjoy listening. So hey, hey, how are you guys doing today? freezing here in the midwest this negative 20 degree temperature stuff i'm not a fan of it <laughs> yeah i think it's for the first time in a while it's been colder in the states than it has been up here in canada so uh yeah you can yeah. keep our it gift you can to you. That. our gift you to can, you man no you can keep it take it back <laughs> it's <a blessing. laughs> is, is this that polar vortex or whatever that's coming through right yeah yeah it's yep. i'm not a fan at all but hopefully it's over soon right yeah. Oh, and the good thing for uh, all of uh, football fans is that we stopped putting Super Bowls anywhere north of uh, <laughs> north anywhere, basically. So there's no no cold. And, and this year it's in Atlanta in that brand new Superdome that they started out. And um, yeah, Matt, you've been to that Superdome down there in Atlanta, right? Uh, no, I have not. I have not been you to that yet? one. Um, no, I'd, I'd love to go one day, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like a year old. It's remarkable. Like the technology in this building is just insane with the circular monitor. The uh, concession prices are the record lowest in the league. Um, it's yeah, apparently it's just a great venue to be at. And I think it's a, it's a perfect spot for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Speaking of concession prices, Chick-fil-A still won't be open. <laughs> mm. That's too bad, man. Yeah. They even said it. it was like, I don't care if it's Super Bowl Sunday, we'll not be open on Sundays. So. I mean, why, why, why put it in the stadium in the first place when your primary uh, income is from football games? But obviously, there's other things they do. They do concerts and other things there that I'm sure they get a, a nice income off of. Anyways, let's go ahead and talk about what happened a couple of weeks ago. We took a week off because our schedules just couldn't match up. But there was a lot of action uh, a week and a half ago on Championship Sunday and uh, just a lot of drama, really. There was a lot of drama towards the end of both games. There's a lot of 
questions that got brought up after both games. Let's go ahead and start on the AFC side because while there was drama at the end, it wasn't nearly as bad as the NFC one. Uh, Patriots taking on Kansas City Chiefs. The game was real close all the way down to the very end and it went into overtime. Uh, My question to you guys is, do the overtime rules need to change? Do we need to match, you know, the NCAA or the CFL? And we could talk about the CFL when we talk about the NFC too. But um, do we need to match those overtime rules to to keep up with the times of this high flying offense and the, the way that we're going? We're trying to get high scores, and we want the offenses to score. Is it unfair for teams to be able to win without the other team ever touching the ball? It was absolutely unfair. I I don't understand how these rules even came into place in the in, in like in the first place. To have a sudden death sort of regular overtime regulation it makes no sense when a game is so dependent on exchanging the the possession, right? Like in hockey, in basketball, in soccer, sudden death is you know it makes more sense because the ball is being exchanged with the puck. It's it's a constant flow of back and forth, right? So anything can happen. But in football, if you don't have the off, if you're if you don't have the ball to start the overtime, you're at a significant disadvantage, and it's just not fair. Like I say, we should put a ten minute period, and you play it out to ten minutes, and whoever wins at the end wins at the end. If they score four touchdowns, fine. If they if they go back and forth, at least we get a bigger game. But to have this just sudden death and just kind of hurry to get it over with. It's not fair to the players or the fans, or and I don't think it really represents the, the 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 this you know the proper outcome of these matches. It's just sort of like whoever ends up with the ball last can win. I agree, Tanner. What you got? Yeah, I would definitely like to see a change at least for the postseason to uh, college rules. I think that's the only fair. I just I I don't like how both teams don't get a chance in the postseason, especially regular season. I'm still not a huge fan of the way it's constructed now, but if they can only change. One way or the other, I'd rather just be in the postseason. I do like how NFL games are a lot quicker than college games, especially if they go into overtime. Uh, one thing, my my dad, he's a big football fan, been his whole life. He would like to see the college rules implemented in the NFL for the postseason, but the team who gets the ball second, if they score, they have to go for two. Mm-hmm. Oh, that so would like- be interesting. Because that's that's college rules after what the first three overtimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Starting the third one, you have to go for two and the third right. overtime college. So that would be interesting. I mean, that would that makes very uh, drama drama filled. But yeah, I, I definitely think they need to analyze it because it's 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 not good the way it is. Yeah. So this is this is interesting. We have two different uh, aspects as far as how we think it should be go. And and obviously, I don't. I think both of them are better than what we have now. I agree with you guys. I think the way that it works now, especially with the way that the NFL is going, trying to get offenses to score more. You know, protecting the quarterback more, calling pass interference. Well, sometimes calling pass interference on for blowing on a guy. Um, but going forward, I I, I agree with both you guys. I actually kind of like the idea of hey, put five minutes on the clock. And and the team that that outlasts that five minutes and scores next, and then after that maybe we can go to the sudden death, or you know during the regular season we do the um the NCAA style rules, and during the the postseason we do it the other way. We we can mix and match, but yeah, I definitely think that's going to have to change. And and let's also remember this this overtime rules did change just a couple of years ago. It used to be just straight sudden death. It used to be if you kicked a field goal, you could win the game and, mm-hmm. and the other team would never touch the ball. So that's that's already a little bit of a change that they've made. And I still think that it's it's just not fair. It's, uh, yeah, is there it anything really else? Fair. 
Well, yeah. I'd say just we mentioned the CFL there earlier. Um, I have the rules up right now. And the way it works is both teams have an equal number of offensive plays or possessions to break the tie. So basically, you end in a tie, there's a coin flip like there's in the NFL. And then the winner essentially starts. So they start from the 35-yard line of like of that end zone right so you're not marching the you know the 70 yards or whatever you're marching just those 35 yards to go and score and if you score you have to do a two-point conversion you have to and then the other team gets to go so that the other team goes and if they score and they complete their two-point conversion then it just starts over again then the first right. team goes and then the second team has a chance right so it basically goes until you know there's there's one team that wins or the score is is sort of divided right there's like a, yeah. a clear winner or loser um or if you know if, if one team can't score in a possession, the other team goes and scores, and you know game over, right? So it, right. these rules are, are they're kind of entertaining. They take special teams out of it. It's just straight offense versus defense in within the red zone, right? So it's quick, it's fast, and you can score sort of within you know one or two plays, and it's really entertaining to watch. Like it, it gives more of a uh, of, of, of a sort of tense atmosphere on the field because you never know what's going to happen from one end to the other. And I remember a uh, Canadian football university championship almost like i don't know eight years ago seven years ago uh where both teams i think had like four scoring possessions in a row like it was insane wow. just one after the other big plays and big plays and the score just kept going up and up and up until one team just couldn't keep up and it was one of the most uh, memorable games i've ever watched um nfl and super bowls included and um, i think it'd be a really cool thing for the nfl to adopt something like that yeah, yeah. The, te Texas A&M uh, had a game just like that this last year, didn't they? It was A&M or there was, somebody, there was a team that went to say, say eight overtimes. And that's how I knew about the college rule. Uh, it kind of matched that CFL rule really right? after the first two overtimes, you have to go for two starting in the third overtime. But yeah, I think they had like eight overtimes or something, didn't they? I, I think, I think, yeah, somebody did. I think, I think you're right. I think A&M wasn't that game. I do recall that. I, you know, it seems like every other year we see one go at least like four or five overtimes. So right. uh, it, it makes for uh, an intense game and enjoyable game, especially if you're not real invested on one side or the other and just mm -hmm. join as a casual football fan. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think especially in the playoffs, I think you're right, especially in the playoffs, that would just make for fun football. And it's not like they're trying to get to another game, right? Yeah, there was, uh -huh. there was two games that day, but there's still like an hour in between each one. Like You have plenty of time to play it out. Uh, you're, you're getting more uh, from financial, from the, the TV, from the subscriptions and all this other stuff. So I think it's, it's just better for the league that they should probably look into that. All right. Other controversy on the NFC side, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. Just I want to get your guys' opinions on on what you think we need to do going forward, because obviously everybody knows that there was an issue with this, and I want to bring back the CFL on this. So at the very end of the game, uh, and I, I'll just give my my take on my part, and then I'll hand it over to you guys. But so at the very end of the game, I think there was like two minutes, two, two and a half minutes left. There was a, a very blatant uh, pass interference non-call there was a there was no call and the guy basically tackled him he got fined for a helmet to helmet that's how obvious it was which but, wasn't called either <laughs> which wasn't called either right so there was there was no helmet to helmet call there was no pass interference call there was a huge issue you know new orleans saints fans think they get screwed by roger goodell every single year and sometimes i, I can kind of see where they're coming from however their big, their big say on it is let's play that last two minutes again. Let's play that last two minutes. A, we all knew that that last two minutes wasn't going to get played again. But B, hang it up, New Orleans. Like I get, I get that you're mad and I get that you don't want to do it, but you still got the ball in this in the overtime. You threw that away, right? 
Drew Brees threw the interception. I'm pretty sure he got, I think he got tipped or he got his arm tipped, but either way, it was a great defensive play by the Rams. You had your chance to still win the game. It didn't all come down to that call. It's time to hang up the hat. And I, I get your frustration on that one call. It probably would have brought down to 30 seconds, kicked a field goal to win the game. However, you had your chance and, and you're not going to be able to replay that. Uh, be, uh, we'll bring it to you, Tanner. And then I'll, I'll, Matt, I want you to talk a little bit about how the CFL uh, deals with the replays as far as uh, pass interference calls. Cause I know I, I was up there for a few years and I remember watching it. And it's kind of interesting how they, how they do the being able to challenge. Basically you can challenge uh, no calls and yep. it's, it's just how they do that. So Tanner, what, what do you think about the whole situation? What do you think there is? Is there a way to, to fix this whole no call? You know, obviously refs are human, but there's gotta be a way that we can get not have especially on that big of a stage not have that issue yeah that call just going back to it i'm still like shocked the guy didn't call him he was right in front of him everybody saw it i did oh, i yeah. just don't know i i thought at first you know it's stuck in his belt he can't get it out i don't know <laughs> then just never threw him like are you kidding me yeah. so uh and going back to like you said yeah you know if that happened to the broncos i mean we we'd be pissed i mean mm. we'd we'd still be pissed but after a while, unfortunately, just human error is part of what makes sports great, um, good and bad. And after a while, you just kind of have to let it go and get back at it next year. But going back to, like you said, not only did the Saints have the ball in overtime, what frustrated me since I was rooting for the Saints while I was watching was on first down, instead of just running the ball and making L.A. forcing, forcing them to make an, use another timeout, Sean Payton tried to get cute and throw the ball. It's yeah. like. I thought I thought he mismanaged the game a little bit towards the end there too, but yeah, I don't know what exactly can they can make to correct this. I mean, I guess you can review all pass interference calls, but if you do that, then you're adding X amount of minutes onto right. every game. Uh, maybe maybe you get a certain challenge flag you can throw out throw out to review a call once a game or something a penalty. I I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what Matt's got to say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, you know, Roger Goodell finally broke his silence and he said, well, our, uh, our referees, they're human. And I get it. It's, you know, human error is human error. But when you've got the, you know, 60, 80,000 people in the stadium that sees it and, you know, the millions of people watching on TV that sees it and every player in the field that sees it and the sidelines, like, you know, the human error can only go so far. You know, I, I don't know. I don't really buy that that excuse. Um, I'm, I, you know, I enjoy conspiracy theories. I think it's fun to think about. And maybe the ref <laughs> got paid off. You know, maybe somebody was somebody's pocket. You know, and they had to do their best to throw a game. Who knows? But um, I do agree that the Saints had their chance even after the penalty. I don't think the penalty was a the reason they lost. I think it was a huge punch in the face, and it slowed them down, broke some momentum. However, they did have a chance to come back and win, and it didn't happen. Um, I will read a quote uh, by uh, Sean Payton though. He said, it's not going to happen overnight and it will take a little bit of time, obviously, but it's why we like this game. I mean, football is like life. It's not always going to be how you planned it. It's not always going to be fair. And sometimes you get punched and you get up. And I think that's just a notion of it. They, they just got to the end. They got punched really hard and they just couldn't find a way to come back from it and win. And so be it. Very, very, very uh, disappointing. I was really hoping the Saints would make it to the Super Bowl for Drew Brees' sake. Um, but apparently he's coming back for one more year. So that's, you know, that's great. We'll get to see another year of Breeze. Um, in terms of what the CFL does, it's, you know, it's quite as simple as just the coach is able to challenge a defensive pass interference call. So if 
something like that were to happen or not happen, or I, actually, I think it's only when there's a call for it. I'm not sure if it's a no call. It might be that what I'm reading here is a little, uh, it's not as clear, but I think it's either a call or a no call. You can challenge for pass interference for the defense. So if, <clears throat> so if you're, you know, you're watching the game and there's a play like that, that happens like a Roby Coleman hitting the receiver, the coach would be able to then throw the challenge flag and say, I believe there's a pass interference there. Please review it. And then it would just kind of go on as it happens. Like any other challenge, if they win the challenge, it, it's good. They just lose a challenge. If they lose a the challenge, they lose uh, the timeout, but they just have the ability to, to challenge those plays and just make that, uh, that 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 sort of effort to 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 get the the call on their side or not, um, you know that one was very blatant. Unfortunately, I don't know why they didn't call it, but I think the rules in place for the ones that just really aren't as obvious or the ones that are really borderline not a, a PI call. I'm not sure if it, um, you know, if the, it's meant for the, the the blown calls like this, but yeah, that's that's how the CFL does it. It's something a little bit different. Um, I'm not sure how much I like it. I think it's. I think it's a, it's a good ability for the coach, and I, but actually, after seeing this Rams and Saints game, I'm a lot more in favor for that because I just feel like the Saints got robbed. You know. Yeah. The, my only concern with the whole thing, and, and I was looking it up, you, you definitely can challenge yeah, you can, the CFL. Yeah. You you can challenge a no call. Yeah. Okay. And my only problem with this, hey, yeah, you, Tanner, you hit it right on the head. It slows the game down a little bit, and it can really take away momentum. Uh, B, obviously, like it actually happens a lot more than you think that the no call challenges in this CFL, and, and not just on that. It, and they, they could challenge regular pass interference calls. They could challenge no calls. It actually happens a lot because there's no real fine line on it. And, and it's, it's even worse when you slow it down. That's my only concern is even when you slow down, if the guy's playing hands handball with the guy and he just clips him in his hand as he's going up to go catch the ball, then, you know, it could technically be considered pass interference, right? But in all reality, that's just the game. And it kind of takes away a little bit of that right now. Now you're taking almost the defensive back can't do anything. And now it can be challenged. So there's that fine line that I think we have to think about. And there has to be some sort of, I don't know. I mean, we just figured out how to, last year, the NFL just figured out how to define a catch. (laughs) You know, how are we supposed to figure out the definition of a pass interference, especially when we slow it down? So, at, that, at, that at which point do we stop? Like where, now all of a sudden we can call a uh, challenge for a pass interference. Can we start challenging for holding? Can we right. start challenging for a roughing the passer? Like which rules can we challenge? Which, which rules can we not challenge? Because at some point, why even have referees? You know what I mean? Why not let the the, the sidelines make a call to New York and, and they deal with it? Like, you know, the refs need a job too. They need to have their uh, their influence put in the game. Um, so you know, I, it's it's a, like you said, Jared. It's a really hard thing to define and, and to sort of figure out. But I think the 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 big mishap with the Saints, I think that should drive some conversation to at least find something of a, a revolution, uh, a, a re- resolution. So we'll see what happens with it. But you're right; it's really complex. Yeah, and the other thing too is, and this will be the last thing we say about this is is how do you penalize that if it's an if it's wrong, right? You challenge it. Yeah. And you you lose a timeout. They're talking about. I, I know so. there's yeah. there's a lot of people that are talking about uh, taking time off the clock. But honestly, that wouldn't have helped. Like, say they they challenged that and they decided it wasn't a pass interference. They take time off the clock. It actually punishes L.A. more than it punishes New Orleans because yeah. L.A. still needed to go down to score before they finished out. So I I don't know. I think it's just a it's a fine line. It's a weird situation, and uh, I don't think I have the answer, and I don't think there's going to be an answer for it anytime soon. Nope. Okay. 
So let's go ahead and move on our conversation a little bit. Let's talk Broncos, our favorite subject on the Orange Weekly podcast. Let's figure out what is happening with the Denver Broncos. Honestly, let's be honest, this is probably the, the quietest we've been uh, after firing a head coach. You know, we, we've, we get our new head coach and we've had a couple weeks of just kind of being on the down low, but we did hire a new quarterback coach. And uh, Tanner, what do you know about our new quarterback coach and, and what is he going to bring to the team? Yeah, I was actually just reading up on him uh, earlier today because I didn't know a whole lot about him. Uh, T.C. McCartney, I believe his name. Right. Uh, he's coming from San Francisco. He worked a couple of years under uh, our office coordinator. Uh, I think he worked for San Fran actually for four years. So he was in the Shanahan system for quite a while now. And that that's one thing that's interesting to me. A lot of these offensive coaches we have hired – they have the Shanahan fingerprints on them one way or the other somewhere along their coaching coaching uh, career or coaching uh, tenure so far. Um, I, I like that he has uh, familiarity and he knows you know, the office coordinator um, really well. Um, yeah, I, and you know, I, it was interesting because I was listening to some Denver Sports Radio today and some of them were talking, well, does, does this have fingerprints all over it that they're going to go draft uh young quarterback because San Francisco coached uh, one side of the senior bowl. They coached Daniel right. Jones, a few other of the, I don't know. I can't remember the other quarterbacks they coached. And, and I'm thinking, I, I don't think we should look that far into it right now, right. but I do like the familiarity that, that he has with the other guys on the staff staff. And um, I, I sounds like a good hire to me. And he's got some Colorado ties. So. Yeah, he's originally. Uh, he said he coached at Boulder, I believe, for his uh, his graduate coaching graduate, and then uh, moved on to the NFL. He, I think he was at Tulane for a little bit, but he's he's bounced around a lot, and and obviously, you know, a quiet couple weeks for Denver, and we don't want to read too much into it because a quarterback coach only really has so much effect on a full team and and how it ends up turning out. But it is it is an interesting take. Um, the, the other thing I want to mention too is is I don't think he's going to be brought in to bring in a brand new guy and start him from scratch. And, and I, I do want to talk about that a little bit later, but before I, I get to that, Matt, do you have, do you have what hiring a quarterback coach that is under an offensive coordinator that he knows very well, how much effect is that going to have and how much is that going to help us transition into the, to the new season? I think it's just good continuity overall. Um, I think Keenum's going to benefit a lot from having both his OC and his QB coach, like, you know, on the same page and running the same system and able to communicate right. with the same language. Right. It's not like you got three people trying to figure each else, each other out. Like it's, you know, you've got two coaches that work together and then a new quarterback. So I think it's going to work really well between all of them. And I think that, uh, you know, based on his experience with the, the 49ers, he's pretty good at coaching up game managers like Mullins and uh, right. Thard. you know, they still found a way to win and be competitive in games with you know really lower end quarterbacks so I think Keenum will benefit um, but I just think it brings some continuity and just sort of makes the whole transition that much easier I agree so now let's talk about what the hot topic is and I think what's going to end up happening is a lot of people are going to get super upset and I I tweeted this out the other day is uh, everyone's super excited they think we're going to pick up Drew Locke everyone's like oh yeah Drew Locke and John Elway we're seeing having uh, shots down at the beer I, I, I don't I don't care what you saw I don't care what you think I am not on board to to take a quarterback in that first round with our number 10 or even try to trade up to get Drew Locke that's my opinion. I honestly think there's a lot of Broncos fans getting all high and tight about it. And they're going to be super disappointed when we show up and 
every prediction that anybody's ever made for who we're going to pick up is wrong because John Elway is he's got something up his sleeve that we don't know about. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you guys think we try to pick up a quarterback in the first round, or do we just say, you know what, we have a lot of other places that we need to to stop, and we still have Case Keenum for one more year? I'd go with option number two that you just, you just mentioned. I mean, do I think we'll draft a quarterback somewhere along the way? Yeah. I don't think in the first round, though. Um, and I actually saw Drew Locke play live when he, when Missouri played at Purdue this year, and he torched Purdue's defense, but a lot of teams did. Purdue didn't have good defensive backs. <laughs> but, I, but I did come away from that game thinking, okay, I think this kid's got to be a first-rounder. But I don't think he's worth the number 10 pick. I mean, he's got a really big arm. He can make all the throws. Uh, one thing I noticed from that game is his footwork isn't the best. He gets some happy feet sometimes, doesn't get his feet set underneath him, can rush some throws at times. And I know that stuff can be easily corrected. But I don't know. He just reminds me of Jay Cutler for some reason. He just got a little color in him. I don't know why. Um, every time I, I hear him talk to the media, I mean, he's not as bad as color was <laughs> handling the media, but, uh, he, he reminds me of color, but I, I, I want to go cornerback at 10. In my opinion, I think, cause in my opinion, I don't think Bradley, Bradley Roby's going to be back. This is right. a very heavy defensive, heavy class. I like a Deandre Baker from Georgia a lot. Now, will he be there at 10? I don't know. Um, if not, I like the, Oh, he's, I can't think of the kid's name. The kid from LSU. Cornerback, Williams. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, I, I mean, they're SEC corners. They play the best of the Absolutely. best, and uh, you can't go wrong with an SEC corner, in my opinion. So one of those two guys is who I'm hoping we take it in. But we have some other positions that need to. So it'll be interesting to see what John does. Yeah, it, it seems to me that you know this draft is pretty big on edge rushers, defensive linemen, and, and offensive linemen too. I think there's a lot of good depth at both those spots. And uh, Tanner, I think you're right. I think 10 is way too high to draft, draft a quarterback. Um, but if, you know, say Broncos really do fall in love with one of these guys and they, and, and Elway wants to draft another first round quarterback, I'm expecting him to trade back perhaps to do that. I really hope yeah. he doesn't. I think there's a lot of talent at a lot of other positions that the Broncos should be jumping onto. I'm think, thinking offensive tackle too to secure that right tackle spot. Jawan Taylor from Florida apparently is looking pretty good. Uh, you know, uh, the, we don't really know all the numbers yet and who's the uh, the highest predicted players to go right now. But, um, you know, Jonah Williams too from Alabama. Alabama always puts out good, uh, good linemen. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be a lot of options. You know, I think the Broncos have needs at multiple positions, cornerback being one of them, uh, inside linebacker being one of them too. I'd say, you know, offensive line, tight end, uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt to maybe get another young receiver in there too. Like it, there's mm -hmm. so many holes on this team that I don't think that corner – there's not enough good quarterbacks in this draft to merit that that really quick top 10 pick. Yep. And I, that's a good point. I didn't think about this, but uh, I think the idea of trading, if if we're watching the draft and all of a sudden you hear that the Broncos have traded back, then I can start thinking, okay, he's got something scheming. He's going to pick up a quarterback, uh, but he's going to have to get something for that trade back, right? There's going to be some sort of um, something that the Broncos are going to have to get for that. But uh, the, the one thing I want to say about these quarterbacks in this draft, and you know, obviously Kyler Murray, he's a Heisman Trophy winner. He is a, you know, athletic uh, athletic quarterback. He can, he can make throws. He's shorter than Drew Brees. Um, and you know, he's, he's basically four foot nothing back there behind these linemen. <laughs> and, uh, and he, obviously he can run around, but I don't, I don't like his play style. I don't think it matches our play style. I don't think it's going to match this Gangrello offense. And, uh, with Drew Locke and some of these other guys, the problem that I have with them is that they're very one receiver to two receiver look heavy. 
And this this offense that we have that we're going to be bringing in, if it's if it is that Kyle Shanahan offense, is going to be uh, get a receiver open. The receiver, the quarterback's only job is to find which receiver is supposed to be open. And if he can find that receiver that's supposed to be open, whether it's two yards down the field or, or eighty, um, we need the quarterback that can read that, not someone that reads one one receiver to get the whole defense defense going to him and just kind of got lucky because he's got a good arm. I, I I don't think that's who we need. And I think next year's draft is where we find those game players. We find those guys that can read defenses and read the open receiver in next year's draft. Um, also, we have we have Case yeah. Keenum for more year. What's that? Absolutely. And I think we've got a lot of good quarterbacks coming in next year's draft. I'm, th- I'm draft. I'm thinking of uh, Oregon's um, Matt Herbert, Hebert, I think is Herbert, Herbert, yeah. or whatever it is. Justin Herbert. Uh, the kid from uh, Georgia as well. Um, you know, there, yeah, Jay from There's, there's a couple good ones next year. And I think we wait out too. Uh, Kyler Murray, like, yeah, he's flashy. He's undersized, but I don't think it really matters. Like he's 5'10", 195 pounds. I could see him bulk up a little bit for the NFL. Like that's not, uh, I'm not really concerned about his size. I think there's room for smaller quarterbacks in this league, but I just don't think he's right for the system. You're absolutely right. Scangarello runs what Shanahan, you know, sort of ran, which is a, a zone run, zone run offense with some, you know, West coast flavor, some ver- vertical route flavor, like just a little bit more explosive, but relies a lot on that zone run, which, yep. you know, fits best with, you know, the, the, the good game managers. And I think that Shanahan had his biz- biggest success in Atlanta when he had Matt Ryan, because Matt Ryan is a bit more than a game manager, right? So when he fell into the, the 49ers and now with Scangarello with the, uh, with the Broncos and Case Keenum, I think we're going to be looking for a really good game manager, somebody who takes care of the football and, like you yeah. said, can read a defense and find the holes, right? As opposed to relying on that first or second, you know, read. You know, we need a quarterback who can eat up a defense one bite at a time, not trying to chew the whole thing at once, right? You got to win the game over 60 plays, not over one or two or three plays. So we need that kind of player. And I think this offense merits a veteran quarterback for at least another year or two. Yeah, I. I ultimately think that Case Keenum will be the day one starter for the Broncos. Now, I think we'll bring somebody in, whether that's through the draft or pick up a veteran to uh, push him a little bit, you know, as a backup spot. Because I I don't think Chris Hogan's going to cut it as a backup. I mean, nothing against the guy. I just don't – I don't want to have to rely on him if Case would happen to go down. (laughs) But one one thing that Case is going to have to improve on is uh, his turnovers. He's going to have to cut those down, especially in a – you, you were saying, Matt, in a, a game game manager type offense, he's going to have to cut down on the turnovers. I mean, you, you remember early on last year, he started season three picks, and then I think it was two picks. But then there was a stretch. He went four or five games in a row without throwing a pick. But So he's capable of doing it. We just have to see it more consistently. I think yeah. so. And he, he had his like worst year at interceptions this year. He threw 15 all year, but his year with the Vikings, he threw seven mm-hmm. for 22 touchdowns. Um, you know, he's had some accuracy issues, I guess, in the past, but he has the potential of being good. And I think it, Jared, it, it ties back to what we talked about earlier in the year, how the, the Musgrave offense was big on timing routes. And timing. It, once a defense figures out your timing, it, like Keenum can only do so much, right? When, he, when the, the DBs are jumping the routes and they're jumping the timing. So, you know, out of those 15 interceptions, how many were truly his fault? I don't know. How many were the receivers of the system's fault? I don't know. But I think that if, they go back to something that's more of, of his, you know, oriented around his strengths. I think that you might see his interception numbers drop quite a bit or, you know, I'm knocking on wood here. I'm really hoping so. I hope he's not one of these interception machines, but um, I think there's definitely potential to, to get him to a level where he's way more effective with the ball. 
And, and and especially if we're um, expecting a better offensive line play, because I yeah. think uh, I think Munchak's going to have this group. It's going to be a complete one eighty. I think I think he's the best offensive line coach in football from everything I've read. So uh, yeah, I'm real excited the, to see yeah. what he can do. He's one of the best offensive linemen ever. He's in the Hall of Fame. You know, mm-hmm. like this guy's got playing experience. He's got coaching experience. Um, you know, so he he can only make this team better. You think yeah. he can get uh, Garrett Holds' name back to Garrett Bolds? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> definitely. Hope so. Yeah. Make it happen. And I, I honestly, I think that I, obviously with Munchak being his his coach, but I think that becomes a discipline thing too. I think it's a little bit more different with Fangio back there as opposed to Vance Joseph. And I think that discipline is going to be there. You're going to be held accountable for, pardon my pun, but you're going to be held accountable for your holds, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's going to be a little bit different, something that we're going to see this year. But the other thing I want to talk about with that quarterback too, and, and we don't know, obviously we, we, we can guess because this is Ken Gorello's first time being an offensive coordinator, right? So uh, we can guess that he's going to run the Shanahan offense coming in. It's we, probably high high possibility, high probability that it is because that's what the system he's been in for the last four years. But uh, the, the biggest thing for me is, is he going to build his offense and then tell the players you need to run this offense? Or is he going to try to build his offense around the the talent that we have? And and I say that because I think that we haven't done that yet. You know, Case Keenum was probably one of the best quarterbacks when we were in the hurry up. Unfortunately, we didn't play in the hurry up until the fourth quarter. Um, you know, our run game was great with the zone offense. You know, we, we have a, a great zone runner in, uh, Philip Lindsay, and then we have a great run, uh, scheme run runner in, uh, Royce Freeman. We have two different types of running backs back there that could go really well in either one of those systems. So I'm interested to see if he starts running that based on our talents, or if he's just going to bring in his system, be like, Hey, you guys are going to learn this system and this is how it's going to run. I think it might be a little bit. Uh, Obviously, in a perfect world, it's going to be a little bit of both, and he's going to play off of our, our our strengths. But that's just still to be seen, I guess. I think you know. I think he's going to run the offense based on um, what what the you know. Let me start that one over. I think he's going to take the strengths of the players and build an offense around that. And I think he's going to focus on a few key players. Um, I think Philip Lindsay is going to be the focal point of this offense, just given his potential and the you know the, the amazing season he had. I think he's going to become what the offense is built around. You know, like Shanahan did that in Atlanta when he had uh, De- Devontae Freeman, and he yeah. also tried to do that with San Francisco when they uh, they signed Jerry. McKinnon, but even with Matt Breida and, and these other, you know, random running backs that uh, San Francisco had, they still had a great year running the ball. So I think he's going to really focus in on, on Philip Lindsay and his strengths, using Royce Freeman as a really good compliment because that's sort of lightning and thunder mix. It's a great mix that is tried and true in the NFL. And within our receivers, like Cortland Sutton, he's a big-bodied kid. He's fast, agile. He's got a good hand. So I think he's going to try to turn into a little Julio Jones type of player to really eat up a lot of double coverages and, and, and use his big body and tight spaces to, to, to make those crucial catches and Deshaun Hamilton with his speed, Emmanuel Sanders with his, you know, great slot ability and his experience in leadership. I think it's going to really be based around the, the strengths of these players. And I think Case Keenum just sort of fits into that, you know, naturally. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I don't, I don't have much to add. I just want one more thing to add, too. I, I think that, you know, we spoke about Munchak, and I think he's going to have, you know, quite a bit of say, too, in the offense. Um, and I think a lot of the decisions are going to be made around what kind of blocking scheme they can best get out of this unit. You know, Garrett Bowles, he holds a lot. 
holding is something that's, you know, surprisingly easy to fix. It's about footwork and handwork coordination. You know, it's, it's something that, that can be fixed. I think that will be addressed, but for the rest of the, of the line, you know, and the improvements we can get through this offseason. I hope Ramon Foster follows Munchak to Denver. He's a veteran nice. player. I would love to see him line up opposite of Ron Leary and have two old-school veteran guards line up there. I think that'd be a huge strength. Um, Matt Paradis, too, at the center. When he comes back healthy, he's going to be a big addition. Um, so it, it, it's a matter of seeing really how the offensive line can play. To me, an offense starts with what your quarterback can do, and then it goes to what your line can do. If your offensive line is good zone blocking, you got to go the zone block. If they're not as agile on their better man-on-man blocking you've got to scrap the zone blocking and go that man-on-man scheme so I think it's going to have a, a a big impact on the direction the offense takes but I think with Mike Munchak there he's going to be able to get the best out of these players and integrate that within the offense to make sure that we're a cohesive unit we're not running some system because it's you know for the sake of the system right yeah Absolutely. So speaking of which, you know, obviously we, we've talked about how our offensive line has been one of probably one of the most improved over the last two years, obviously picking up some big names, but uh, injuries this year just plagued us. And even honestly, I'll, I'll admit, I, I think they still played pretty well with the way that they got patched up uh, towards the end of the season. Obviously, Philip Lindsay ended up being a Pro Bowl running back after all of it. And he obviously was still getting in and everything. So and that's obviously really good. I think that, that that our offensive line is definitely in in. Uh, has has gotten a lot better and and obviously having a guy like Mike Munchak come in is, is going to really help us out but uh, we are also have a couple people on our list that we are going to be losing Jared Valdir he's an unrestricted Good. free agent he's got a seven million dollar a year uh, average right now uh, he's an unrestricted free agent so we don't know if he's going to be coming back obviously with the injuries to Matt Paradis uh, and uh Ronald Leary this last year. We, we don't know who's coming back healthy, who's walking, and, and that's going to be probably one of the biggest unknowns of our season so far is what offensive line are we going to see coming back from the offseason? I think the draft is going to have to be a big pool uh, to get to get that right tackle spot filled up. Um, I do think that I'm hoping, again, Ramon Foster comes around for that right guard spot. Um, yeah. I think the rest of the line is is totally secured. Um, I think Garrett Bowles needs to put on maybe like 15, 20 pounds. I think that'll help with his holdings. He's he's getting bullied from by some of the bigger players, I think. But uh, I think overall, if we can just secure up that right, you know, that right side of the line, I think that the line would be even better than it was last year. Because you're right, they played really well. Lindsay didn't do that on his own, man. He had great blocking. And the right. thing is like a, a timing-based offense. Uh, it helps the offensive lineman because the ball comes out quick. And it comes out on cue, right? So you you know you have to hold for a certain amount of t- uh, hold. You have to block for a certain amount of time uh, before the ball's out. So that helps the line too. So you know I think a lot of things go into it. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping for a big upgrade too this year. Yeah, is there any is there any offensive lineman that uh, Tanner that you're eyeing in the the off season? Whether do you think we pick up a young guy, try to get another young guy in there, or we, or we try to go out and get a couple uh, older guys, or do we try to keep uh, Jared Valdir for seven million a year? Well, uh, if Valdir wants to come back, um, he he might want to retire too. Because wasn't he kind of contemplating retiring last year before the Cardinals traded him? Or yeah. am I just dreaming that? Uh, but no, Foster is the main guy. Like Matt said, that I I want to go after as well. Um, other than that, I haven't really done enough research on who's going to be available for the offensive line. I do know it's a decent offensive line class in the draft. So. Um, you know, we have we have nine picks in the draft, I believe. So plenty of time and opportunities to get somebody in the draft. But uh, you know, I'm you know I, I, I'm still a big Connor McGovern fan. 
I don't think he necessarily has to start by any means, but I think he's a good reserve backup. He can play guard, and like at the end of the year, he proved he can even play a little center if he has to. So I think he's one that uh, hopefully can keep getting better and better. And maybe Max Garcia, he's another one that's injured. Hopefully he can come back. And uh, because you know, if you can have a good second second string of linemen, that that helps your line even more when you have that depth and don't have to be so concerned about injuries. Yeah, and I, I think that's like you said. I think that's what helped us out towards the end of the season as we were trying to patch together our new offensive line. We pulled some people around. Obviously, losing your center is huge. Having to pull some people and put them into center. I think Garcia's. And, and that's another person that's on this unrestricted free agency list. We got uh, Valdir. Matt Paradis is on the unrestricted free agency. I, I hope, I really, really hope we don't let him walk. Uh, Billy You better Turner. franchise tag him. If we can't get a deal done, I oh, mean, we, can't, we cannot let him hit the market. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody else on this list that I could think of franchising tag other than him. Uh, uh, who else were we? I, I saw somebody else on here that I was actually okay with losing Max Garcia. He's been with us for a while, but he's kind of, he stepped in last year. And that was one of my biggest problems. Like one of my biggest worries when we did have to patch together that offensive line was, is Max Garcia going to be able to step in? Because the year before that he was, he was a rough, he was a rough starter, but he stepped in, he stepped in pretty well. So that's going to be a big one. And I think that's, that's part of the reason of being Munchak in in the first place is it's going to really step up and, and help out this offensive line, whether they're veterans or young guys. Yeah, I'm looking at the free agent list right now for the offensive line uh, class or, you know, the guys coming into free agency this year. And there's a few names that, you know, players that we should be looking at. Um, namely, I'm thinking of a guy, uh, Cameron Fleming. He's a backup tackle for the Cowboys. You know, he's coming from a good pedigree, could be a nice backup player. Donovan Smith has had some starting experience with Tampa Bay. He's been playing left tackle, but, you know, could be an upgrade at right tackle. Same with um, where's the guy? Jawan James from Miami. I think he's a very good offensive tackle in this league. Um, and I think that he could sneak into uh, through a lineup very well, fit in very well. Even Chance Warmack, here's a, a you know a, a recent first round pick from not that long ago. He's bounced around a little bit. He hasn't really found his foothold, but maybe with a great te- uh, coach, you know, he could really you know max out his potential. Um, and these are all young guys too. These guys are all under 26, so it'd be nice to to have that sort of you know youth. But there's also you know veterans like uh, Sweezy. You know he's a, he's been a player around this league for a long time. Uh, uh, guys like two, the, the older ones too, like Jamon Bushrod, he's been playing for a long time, he's 35, a lot of experience. Ryan Khalil has been a great center for uh, for the Panthers. Matt Slauson, you know, I go on and on, but there's a lot of players, you know, this year that we could really pick at and, and see if we can find some value. Um, you know, they might come in as, as backup players, but they're they're well experienced and they, they could help out our line depending on how they fit with Munchak. So random funny story about Matt Slauson is uh, obviously myself, Raymond, David, uh, Kev, Dan, we all went to the same high school. Our principal was actually his father when he was playing really? back at, oh. he was, yeah, Slauson was playing back at Nebraska at the time. And he was uh, our high school principal in Colorado Springs at the time was, uh, was his father, principal Slauson. So, and his, his cool. daughter was actually in our graduating class. Uh, nice. So his, oh. I guess. Uh, Slauson's sister was in our graduating class at Watson High School in College Spring. So a little bit of a, it'd be nice if he came back because obviously it's, he's from the area. But uh, uh, yeah, it just a little random tidbit. <laughs> cool. Um, world. All right. So let's, uh, let's go on. Let's talk about uh, this upcoming Super Bowl. So Super Bowl Sunday, no one's excited for it unless you are a Patriots fan and uh, you happen to live in L.A., and uh, think that football exists because right now we don't even know if they even have the following to follow it. But um, I, I want to mention something that I thought was kind of cool before we get into like our predictions and everything else. Uh, not cool, but 
interesting is this is the opposite of what the NFL and uh, merchandisers would have wanted um, for the for the Super Bowl. So when you go into championship weekend, you have a super hot market in the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs haven't gone to a Super Bowl in forever. And then you have a super hot market in New Orleans. New Orleans, you know, just the faithful fans that they have. They haven't been in, in, in a few years. So that the merchandise sales and the idea and the, and the television sales were going to be off the charts. The worst thing that they could have was – Obviously, LA is a huge market, but they just got back and they they're still trying to find their niche. And then the Patriots, who are just there every year, and at this point, you either love them or you hate them. And at, at this point, I think there's more haters than uh, lovers of the Patriots in in the U.S. So, it, yeah, it's interesting to see that this is actually the exact opposite of what anybody in as far as a monetary value goes would have wanted. Um, with that being said, I, are we all on the same side? Are we? Do we all want the Rams to win? Is that is that how we're going to go here? Yeah, yeah, I won't lie. I'd love to see the Rams win. I'm, I'm very much uh, tired of seeing the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, however, I, you know it's hard to really discount the talent that the Patriots have brought over, you know, last 19 years. Right? It's, it's we can't hate too much on them because yeah, they they've been amazing. I'm reading these stats, and here's here's one that just blows me away. So Tom Brady has been in nine Super Bowls. This is going to be his ninth. So woohoo, yay! Let's let's all clap and high five. Um, and then Bill Belichick is actually going to be in his 12th Super Bowl as a head coach or an assistant. And uh, according to that, he's been involved in 22.6% of all Super Bowls ever. And since his first appearance, he's been in 36% of all Super Bowls. So this guy has been in a, you know, a, pretty much a quarter of all the Super Bowls that have existed. You know, 22, okay, we'll say wow. a fifth. That's insane. That you know, like wow. they need to rename the trophy. Like as much respect as I have for you know, Vince Lombardi and what he's done, you know, this is Bill Belichick's trophy, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I have two questions for you guys regarding the Patriots. Um, should they happen to win? Do you think Bill Belichick retires? No, 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 no. I'm not yet. Yeah, I, I, don't, agree. I don't think Tom Brady retires either. Win or lose, man, I see at least two years in uh, Brady and Belichick. Yeah, I wasn't even going to ask Brady because he had an interview with a reporter the other day, and the reporter asked him what percentage uh, chance will he retire if they win. He said zero. Zero. So yeah. how about Rob Gronkowski, though? Uh, I, I could see him taking a step back. He might not fully retire, but I would not be surprised to see him take a year off. You know, that, yeah. that could be something he does because you, just watching this man on the sideline and run up and down the field, like he does not look like the same player he used to be. He is beat up. And right. it's just, it's kind of hard to watch when I feel for the guy. I hope he, he does retire for his own health. And yeah, yeah. at, at think... this point, he's basically Robotron. I mean, he's got so <laughs> many different uh, pieces of metal attached to him when he's run up and down the field. I think he does retire. And I think he's already, if, if I was reading something the other day that I think he's already talking about getting movie deals and stuff in the off season. Uh, I think he's trying to, somebody was, I saw something that he might be trying to get into the WWE a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I obviously I, Robotron could be his name for all I care, but uh, I, yeah, I don't, I think this is his last year playing real, real sports and uh, he's, he's going to try something different, but I, by no means, I think or anybody, is anybody done with Rob Gronkowski? I think he's going to be around in, in this, in the, in, in our, on our TVs for a really long time. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to, it's funny you brought that up. Cause I was going to say, I think he does retire and I think he does go into the, to the WWE because I know he's done a few things with them here and there. So I think he'd fit that world perfectly. 
Oh yeah. Anyway, he's such a big personality. Like mm-hmm. you know, he reminds me a little bit of uh of Thad from Blue Mountain State. You guys watch yes, that show? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's got that same of like big body, big personality, party mentality. And I yeah, I could see Gronk and you know, sort of the movies, like movies that The Rock does. Yeah, you know those sort of like corny action movies, you know that for for teenagers or whatever. I could see him do that kind of role, or or be on the reality TV shows and all that. Like he's he's definitely not gone uh, yeah. from our world, but man, the guy needs to step down from football. It's it, it hurts me to watch him play, just just yeah. given how beat, beat up he is, and man. But and, and we say that, but at the same time, he made a crucial over catch in that uh, championship game. And I didn't think he would have had it. I didn't think he would have pulled it down the way he caught it and. He still has it. He's still there. What one clink of metal at a time? He's still there. So yeah, he's he's he, got the most receiving yards, receptions, and touchdowns by tight end uh, in the postseason in NFL history. You know, seventy-five well, catches. Go eight times. Exactly. It helps with the amount of times you go, but you know, still, it's it shows that this guy is just successful on the big stage. You know, seventy-five catches for a thousand yards, thousand seventy-six, and twelve touchdowns. That's remarkable. You know, he, this guy is, is reliable on the big stage. And, you know, it, I don't know if he's played long enough to make it into Hall of Fame contention, but I think he's, you know, if he didn't have so many injuries in his life, he should be considered one of the greatest tight ends to ever play this game. He is remarkable. I, I think he makes the Hall of Fame personally. You, yeah. Maybe yeah. not a first ballot. Maybe yeah. 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 I, mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I for sure. He's meant too much to that franchise and that team and all those championships to not get in That's eventually. True. So. That's right. true. Right, and he may have had a shorter playing uh, field, but so did Terrell Davis. So let's let's That's keep, a good point. keep in mind yeah. that too. So, uh, with that being said, what what are we looking for? What is going to be the difference in this Super Bowl on who's going to win? What what is the biggest difference maker? Whether it be one person, a team, a coach, whatever it is, what's the biggest difference maker in this Super Bowl? I think it comes down to the battle of the trenches. Uh, personally, I mean that's what. In my opinion, why New England beat Kansas City? I mean, Kansas City's got one of the best pass rushers in the league, but they didn't touch Brady, and when they did touch him, they called her up in the passer. So, uh, you know, and that's that's the thing. I was just talking to a friend the other day. This New England team, I honestly couldn't even name you a lineman on their team right now, like I I used to be able to, but they have a whole new core. But yet, it's just kind of like you just replace the guy with a new name on the back and new number, and they yeah. do their job. They do the same thing on the defensive side of the ball all the time. It's just annoying, but it, it's it's kudos to their coaching staff. They got good coaches. They coach them up to play the position how it's supposed to be played. And if if the Rams can't get the Brady with uh, pressure from Sue and and Donald and uh, Brockers, I I just don't see how the Rams can keep it within single digits. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's a really good point. Um, the the Patriots offensive line is very uniquely built too. Um, a lot of sort of no-name players have come around, but they haven't allowed a sack all postseason. So that's really remarkable. Um, and to that note, too, uh, Trent Brown, their left tackle, will be a free agent this year. So maybe he's another option for the Broncos. Uh, yeah. But the difference maker, I think, is going to be Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips is, is one of these rare coaches that has actually you know, managed to beat the Patriots. He, he knows what it takes to beat this this guy and this team, and um, and he's very reliable and experienced. And I think that if he calls his best game, the Rams have the best chance to win. I think McVay takes care of the offensive side, and you know his 11 scheme, the way he runs that offense is really, really cool. It's, it's completely changing the way I look at offensive football. So it's, it's going to be hard to stop, and he's going to make the big plays. And I think it's going to come down to what Wade Phillips does 
to uh, to confuse the heck out of Tom Brady. Let's not forget though that you know Akeem Talib used to play with Brady. He's very familiar with him. Uh, Marcus yeah. Peters is a great corner. The the defensive line with uh, Aaron Donald there. You know this is I think he should be one of the MVPs in the league. You know at least defensive player of the year. And uh, he's going to be a big headache for this uh, Patriots offensive line. Even though they haven't allowed a sack this off season yet, I think they're, he's going to get in the backfield at least once or twice in this game. So. That's that's really it comes down to Wade Phillips and uh, and how you, he runs his defense. I agree with you. I think that the biggest difference maker in this game is going to be Sean McVay. Mm. I think I think what's going to happen and what we're going to see is out from the NFC Championship. What I started to see towards the end there a little bit was he he started to try to out coach himself, and I think what that shows is a little bit of uh, uh, lack of. Maturity. What's the word I'm looking for? Maturity. Yeah, he hasn't been to this stage before, right? Experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. lack of experience on the big stage. Is, it was starting to show a little bit in the fact that that he was starting to try to outcoach himself. He tried to get too fancy on some things. He tried to he tried to get the ball to places where it did, had no reason being. And um, Bill Belichick's not going to do that. Bill Belichick's going to scheme against your defense, but he's not going to try anything crazy tricky. Uh, we saw how that happened last time. He dropped Tom Brady dropped a pass. Um, he's not going to try anything super crazy. He's not going to try to beat you with these over the top plays or anything. He's going to beat you with what he has and he's going to beat you with the out scheming, whatever you're scheming. So is if coach McVay does not out coach himself, the talent is better on the Ram side than it is on the Patriot side. And that's, what's going to be the big difference maker is, is, is Sean McVay does not out coach himself and he can continuously score. There's going to be no way that the Patriots can do anything about it. At that and that's going to be the difference maker in this game. So, so what about score predictions? What do you, uh, Tanner? What do you got for a score prediction? Yeah, I'm rooting for the Rams. I want to see Wade, Akeeb, and CJ get another ring. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think the Patriots are going to be too much. I'm going with a little lower of a score: 27-13 Patriots. Oh wow, quite the spread. Um, I, you know, I don't think the game's going to be that much of um, one-sided. Um, I do think the Patriots come out and win. I think the Patriots are overall better coached. They may not be as talented of a roster as the Rams. However, they are very experienced, and I think they're one of the smarter rosters on this field too. So, yeah. you know, I, I think, uh, Jared, to your point, I, I think Sean McVay will manage to outcoach himself a little bit. Um, I do think the Patriots win, but I think they win uh, 27-24. I think it's going to be a really tight game the whole way through. But at the end – Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does, and he just marches down and he gets that final touchdown or that final field goal to win. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a close game too, honestly. Um, I, I think that uh, – I'm going to go – I'm gonna, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to go with the Rams, first of all, because you guys aren't. And, <laughs> uh, and, and second of all, um, I think that the, the fact that history is going to start kind of repeating itself um, – the start of the New England dynasty started when the St. Louis Rams played against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And uh, I believe St. Louis won that game. Let me just double check. Uh, Patriots beat them. Oh, Patriots, oh, Patriots, yeah. So, so that's what started the that's what started the dynasty. They won like say 20 to 17. So that's like the start of this big, you know, Super Bowl dynasty and the Patriots and the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick world. And I want to see it kind of be uh, brought to an end, and, and I want to see the Rams get their revenge from that time. 
and I want them to I want them to come in and, and have a really good game against the Patriots. Um, I don't think it's going to be as low scoring as that 2017 game. I think it is going to be a lot higher scoring, and I think it's just because of the way the offenses are nowadays in the NFL. Uh, I think it's going to be a score of um, I'm going to say 31 to 30. Oh, but I, I do think it's going to be a, it's going to be a one point game, and whatever that one point is going to be an extra field goal towards the end, or whatever the case may be, and uh, it might even go into overtime, and uh, it's going to be that close. It's going to be come down to something like that. Well, we know Greg Zerloin can hit uh, pressure kicks. He made two of them. Right. That guy has ice in his veins. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's no uh, Chicago. What was the Chicago Bears kicker? Right, Parky. Yeah, Parky. Yeah, the, the double doink. <laughs> Right. There's going to be no jobby soon. Yeah. Uh, he, he handled it with a lot of, like, he handled that with class. Like, I, I'll yeah, give him that. He did. But at the same time, like, if I'm in Chicago, I'm sorry. I got, we got to let this guy go. Cause, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. I saw Nagy got mad at him for um, having an appearance on the Today Show yeah. a week after he missed. And then they signed a kicker last week to compete with him already. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. That is. All right, so that'll start. We're going to start wrapping up the show here, guys. Uh, do you guys have anything else you guys want to talk about before we start closing out? Yeah, I got a question for both of you guys. Is this okay. the, finally the weekend that the Broncos get some more uh, members in the Hall of Fame? Definitely. Oh, it's right. We th- those get announced on uh, Saturday, right? Saturday, yeah. So the so there'll be five finalists that make it through, then two, I believe, on the through the senior committee. Which one of those is expected to be Pat Bowen? Yeah, like yeah. A, the contributors. And I think then, Pat Bowen's going to And then there's it. another one, too. I don't know what the other category is. But I think, personally, Pat Bowen gets in. I think Champ Bailey gets in. Yep. I, I want Steve Atwater to get in, but I still don't think it's his time. Steve uh, Atwater wasn't um, – he was a really good safety. He played his heart out. He was, he was uh, one of the best players of the decade. But I don't think he's, you know, a generational player from the decade, you know. Um, he'll get in eventually. But uh, Pat Bolin, for sure, I definitely see him get in. Um, in terms of the other players, uh, that'll be a tough one. I'd love to see Champ Bailey make it, but there's a lot of DBs and safety in this class, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be tight um, on that front. But if yeah. anybody can do it, it's definitely Champ. Yeah, I agree. I think Champ Bailey. I think he's a lock. Honestly, uh, you're right. There's a lot of DBs in this class, but there's nothing that says you can only have a certain amount of DBs getting quoted in. Um, the other one that's going to be in there, obviously, is not. Not one of ours, and actually, we we played against him uh, quite often. Tony Gonzalez, I think he's also a lock. Oh, 100%. One of the he greatest tight ends. One of the greatest tight ends to ever play the game, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, Ed and Reed. then uh, Ed, Ed Reed's Reed's a lock, I think. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, also another one, John Lynch, uh, now the general manager of uh, of San Francisco. I don't know if he gets in this time. I think he's kind of in that same uh, category. I'll, remember, he did play for us for a little bit. Um, obviously he was most known for the Buccaneers, right? He played the Tampa Bay for yeah, a while. Um, he did play for us for a few years. So that's always interesting to see. I don't think he gets in this year, but, uh, this is actually a pretty good class for the Denver Broncos. Uh, as far as people that are, are available to get in, I see us making at least Pat Bowen. And if they don't make Pat Bowen, I'm starting a petition. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bake a petition bigger than, uh, new Orleans petitions with the, the billboards in Atlanta. And, uh, <laughs> we, we, we need Pat Bowen and I think he deserves it. I think he deserved it last year, but, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. But yeah, I think, I think that's it. I think Pat Bowen and, um, and champ Bailey are definitely the two that I, I'm expecting to get in. 
it's crazy to think about it. it. Just it just makes me mad that the Broncos only have five members in the Hall of Fame, and none of them are any defensive players. So if Champ right. in, he's the first Broncos defensive player. I mean, wow. no, none of those members of the Orange Crush are in. It's just, and, and you got a franchise in the Chiefs that haven't hasn't won, has never even won a Lamar Hunt Trophy. They yeah. have basically that whole Dane team from Super Bowl one is in. Practice. Yeah. I know literally there's not, but there's like 10 guys. <laughs> I think they have another yeah. one up this year. So, so the Broncos are due. I mean, I hope, I hope we get two, at least two guys in. It would be great to get three, but I just, I think two would be two, two would be good for this class. Yep. What, when is the award ceremony? Like uh rookie Saturday, of the year? Saturday. Saturday. Yep. That's yeah. the same, same time. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it all um, happens the same. I think they start off by announcing the Hall of Fame class. I'm not sure, but they start off with that and they go into the awards. But yeah, that's right. all happening at once. Okay, they do the well, red carpet. They should be like the Oscars, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's roll through. Do we think uh, Philip Lindsay has a chance for uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year? No. No, I don't either. Sorry. He's, Was it he the injury? Year. No, he had a great year. I think it's his competition. I think Saquon Barkley – had a better year than Philip Lindsay, and I think Baker Mayfield had a better year. Statistically, you know, it is it is what it is, but in terms of impact on the team, I think Baker Mayfield should be the front runner for offensive rookie of the year because this guy, he was the reason why the, the Browns found the success they did this year. Uh, one of the reasons, so I won't say it's all on him. And Saquon Barkley, it's you watch right. his highlights, it's hard to deny the fact that this guy's going to be probably the best player at his position for the next 10 years. Yeah. Well, let's take a step back. I think we could probably agree that Saquon Barkley's just going to, he's going to get rookie of the year. Probably. I yeah. think so. Yeah. So now, now we take him out of the out of the running, and now we're just going offensive rookie of the year. So you think Baker Mayfield? Uh, I I agree. He probably had a bigger impact, but I don't think he had the the numbers and uh, the the great season deserving of an offensive rookie of the year. I, I just think it's his it's his sort of you know the the way he brought the sorry the 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 Browns out of a slump. Like he he brought a lot of faith and, and belief into the organization and right. hope, you know, and I think that's really, really rare to see in a player, especially that young, but it really, it has to come down between me, between Saquon Barkley and Baker Mayfield. I think that, you know, our guy had a really, really good year. I think he played lights out, but at the end of the day, there's only one award to go out. And I think that uh, these two other guys are just a little bit better, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think I just have a feeling that, Baker's going to get the offensive rookie of the year. I just think the NFL wants another to, to groom another QB into being a big name QB. And Worse. he, and he didn't start the year for the Browns. Tyrod Taylor started, I think what the first four or five games. Mm-hmm. So his stats, I think you kind of have to take that in consideration too. But at the same time, right. Phil Lindsay missed the last two games of the season. So yeah. I think Phillip's close and he, while, while he had a great, great year, and I think he's going to have a really successful career as a Bronco, I think uh, Baker gets it, unfortunately. Do you think Mahomes so, gets so, the MVP? I do. I want him to. Yeah, of course. I, I, I think yeah, I think, I think, I mean, you know, I don't know if that – I think they're supposed to vote for the stuff before the playoffs started, but, I mean, he played phenomenal in the AFC Championship. And, 50 uh, touchdowns, man, in his first I mean, yeah. year starting. Yeah, right, I mean, he on. never really had a poor game. So yeah. I, I think he deserves it. And and he did it with a lot of drama surrounding it too. Remember Kareem Hunt, the issue with yeah. Kareem Hunt too. I mean, he still was playing very well. Um, I, I think, I think he deserves it. Just, I, I want to touch on this offensive rookie of the year thing real quick. Um, I don't get me wrong. I, I love Baker Mayfield. I love watching him. I don't think he's 
uh, offensive rookie of the year material just because watching him consistently, he had a lot of mistakes. And obviously it's because he was a rookie, right? But uh, I think someone that would beat him out, and if he does, it would be Quentin Nelson. Mm, so I, 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 I think to that. I, I think that he has a, a very strong shot at winning offensive rookie of the year. Uh, he was played very well, played the Pro Bowl, obviously, and uh, I think he he deserves to be that too. So if, if Quentin Nelson gets in over over Philip Lindsay, I'll be happy. If it's Baker, I'm gonna I'm gonna side on the side that you're right. I think they just want another big name quarterback to get the ratings up. Um, For if sure, Baker but wins it. Saquon Barkley, man, I think yeah, he's the well, one he's to get gonna, it. Well, he'll win rookie of the year. You think he's going to win both? Well, no, there's no. Uh, I, there's only one offensive rookie and defensive rookie of the year. I don't think there's a rookie. There's not an year. overall rookie of the year? No, 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 no. It's just offensive defense. And the other one, you know, may, he's up for offensive player of the year. Potentially he had 2,000 all scrimmage yards, so he has to be in there. But, you know, Drew Brees is in contention. Todd Gurley's right. got to be in contention too. There's a lot of players that sort of surpass him there. So right. I think that, you know, Barkley does get the award. I, I yeah. think he has to be the rookie of the year. Yeah. All right. How about on the defense? Who do you guys think will get uh, rookie of the year? Oh, so that's interesting. So I, I, everybody thinks that Bradley Chubb should be in it. Do you guys think Bradley Chubb should even be a part of the conversation? Yeah, for sure. I think he's part of the conversation. I, I think if he would have got the sack record, he would have got the award. Absolutely. But falling just short, I think it goes to Darius Leonard of the Colts. Mm, Darius Leonard was lights out this year. He was so much fun to watch. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. What about – really uh, like, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I like Derwin James. Derwin James was a great safety. He matched up like a pro with a, in a lot of games. Like he was really, really efficient. He made an immediate, immediate impact. Um, I, and I think he he should be in contention. I do think Darius Leonard had a bigger year because, you know, in that Colts defense, like he was the guy. Um, but, you know, I think Derwin James should be in contention. I think Bradley Chubb should be in contention too. Uh, but Chubb's a guy that I could see win the defensive player of the year, you know, in, in a couple of years from now. Because he's, uh, man, he's got some crazy talent. Yeah. Uh, I, I I really like, uh, out of Dallas, Vanderish. Oh, I think yeah. He's, he had a good year I think too. he's another one that if we're talking about impact on team and and the the amount of impact he had on so many plays. And, and I mean, I don't have it pulled up right now, but he had so many tackles throughout the year. It looked like he had the tackle record every single week for a while. And um He's like, he would just had a nose for the ball. He knew exactly what he was doing. So I think he's also part of all that conversation. And it's interesting too, because like on the offensive side, we could talk, you know, okay, it's pretty sure it's going to go to Saquon. These other two are kind of close, but we kind of know who's going to be. Uh, and on the defensive, I'm, I have no clue. I think yep. all these people that we've mentioned are all equally uh, capable of getting that award. Yeah. I mean, Vander Esch, he played so well for the Cowboys. He made their fans forget about Sean Lee. Who's been yeah. a staple in that defense? Went healthy for years, so and yeah. I think I think Sean Lee's gonna be a free agent, so he could be an interesting. Yeah, that'd be interesting guy. inside linebacker for us. He's good for like three games till he breaks something. That's, 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 true. that's true. He's great for like four or five games a year, but he's always hurt, man. It's it's really hard to, uh, to invest in him. Uh, let's change gears a bit. How about coach of the year? Who do you think deserves that award? Uh, uh, well, oh, god. I think either Matt Nagy or Frank Reich. Frank yeah. Reich's a good one. Yeah. How about you, Jared? Uh, I'm trying to look up his name, and I'm, I'm bad that I, I can't Which find team? it. Uh, the Chargers. Anthony, oh, uh, Lynn. Anthony Lynn. Yeah. Anthony Lynn. I think Anthony yeah, Lynn, Anthony Lynn deserves to be comp- – for, for what he's done with a team with no fans and a team that is just borderline 
I mean, they were borderline garbage for most, a lot of these games sometimes. And he, he, he turned this team around and turned him into something uh, with all the drama leaving San Diego. And, and he's a, a younger coach. I think he has to be in that, in that contention. Um, the only thing I think that's, that's hindering on that. And I think that Frank Reich has over him is the fact that uh, that new England game getting stomped in that new England game really kind of put a hindrance on his uh, ability. But if they voted before the, the postseason started, then whoo, man, I think he's got it. It's, yeah, it's all about the regular season. Postseason doesn't matter. Um, I do. I think Frank Reich should be the guy because the only thing he gets them is he started one in five, but then yeah. after that went on to win like eight of nine games, right? So I think he uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that and the turnaround, especially from the Colts from last year. Andrew Luck should be comeback player of the year too. Let's be uh, honest. Yeah, I think oh, that's yeah, an that's easy one. Yeah. The hand did. down. Yeah. How about John Gruden for coach of the year? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> never, never happened. Most um, overrated but, coach. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, I think I think these are good picks. Matt Nagy should be up there too, first year head coach and great yeah. success that he had. Um, you know, I'm looking at the other teams here. I don't see anybody else really that could be uh, up for this award other than these guys, man. They did a really, really good job. So, you know, I yeah. think Frank Wright, Matt Nagy, this is where it comes down to for sure. Yeah. Well, what other what other awards we got? There's other awards we give out. Is that it? Well, defensive player of the year, I think we can agree it's Aaron Donald. Yeah, yeah. probably going to go to him. Um, uh, Khalil Mack, another option there, though. He's another option for sure. Um, but I think Donald's twenty and a half sacks is really what kind of puts him over the edge. You're right. Yeah, you know, I think he's just sort of because you know, here's another guy that he should probably get offense like MVP of the league, if not for Mahomes' his crazy season. But even then, I think it's just because the defensive tackle that the political nature of the award can't go to him, so they. They give him the second best thing, which is defensive player of the year, um, right. which is, you know, a, a great honor. But, you know, the, these are really the main awards, the you know, the comeback ones, yeah. player and the coach and, and all that. But um, I think this year there's not too much controversy over who should get the awards. It's pretty unanimous across the board. You know, there's the, the players that deserve them are pretty obvious. So, I, you know, maybe offensive player of the year is going to be, uh, you know, up for the debate. I think that, you know, Drew Brees makes a great case. I think Todd Gurley makes a really good case too. Yeah. So, a lot of different options there. Yeah, there's a lot of great players this year and a lot of standouts. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. It was a fun Definitely. year. I mean, overall in the NFL, it's been a fun year. Besides, yeah. of course, the Broncos struggling. That wasn't fun, but I, just, right. I guess league overall, I, I thought it was one of the most fun years to watch. Right, yeah, take, take our step back from being a Broncos fan yeah. and yeah. Uh, take a look at it as an NFL as a whole. I think, it, I think you're right. I think it's been a really fun year. And I think that's what the NFL is looking for too because uh, uh, that's all they want to do. They just want to get that fan interaction, and I think that's what's happening. Um, all right. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thank you guys for joining us on the orange weekly podcast. We really appreciate it guys. Uh, make sure you guys are hitting subscribe. Make sure you guys are telling your friends, uh, make sure you guys are following us on all the social media. Um, follow us on Twitter, the orange weekly page. I'm at, I'm on Twitter as at coach Jared E, uh, Tanner, you're at T uh, underscore the- Lee. The underscore T underscore Lee. Yeah, it's a oh, long one. Lots of, it's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of underscore. Yeah, it goes so well together though. T yeah. underscore V underscore yeah. Lee. Like yeah, it's still a little song. <laughs> Are you trying to make a rap out of his Twitter name right now? <laughs> no, dude, man, I'm 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 a bald white dude with a beard, man. I can't rap. <laughs> I'm limited to like country met country music or like heavy metal. That's all I can do. Yeah, or exactly, I can yeah. be the bouncer at the club, but otherwise, like. <laughs> That's basically what you got. Uh, that's, um, yeah, that's all I can do. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure you're telling your friends. File, follow us on all the social media. We really appreciate your feedback. We're going to have a lot more for you guys coming 
going forward through the off season. So make sure you guys are on the lookout for what we got. Um, and if there's any up, up and coming news, if for whatever reason we sign some crazy high name, uh, high name guy, if for some reason, Andrew Luck decides to come play for the Denver Broncos next year, we'll be there to break that news and give you all the insight every single time. So make sure you guys are paying attention to that. We'll make sure we keep you guys updated. Either one of you guys have any parting words for our audience. Hope the Patriots lose on Sunday. That's, I like that. Amen. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, as always, we're going to go ahead and end this off with a go Broncos. Go Broncos. Orange, man.